Hello, welcome to Raising Eco Minimalists, a podcast that acts as a community and a resource guide for anyone raising kids who care about their mind, body, community, and planet. I'm Laura, your host. I'm mom to a six year old son, and half the time, I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. Sometimes I feel super lost and alone, and that's where this podcast comes in. Well, thank you so much for being here. Let's dive in. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Raising Eco Minimalists. I am your host, Laura, and it has kind of been a while. Not intentionally, but life, you know? I know you know. Yeah, life has been happening the past couple of months. And unfortunately, this has just had to take a back burner, but life is hopefully calming down a little bit. And I am on the podcast recording train to hopefully be able to start releasing episodes every other week again. So the past two months, we have been moving. I started a new job. So if you are new here or don't remember, back in last fall, November 2021, my family and I downsized by almost half, packed up half of our stuff, put some in a storage pod, and then moved the other half up to a location five hours away to a place where we didn't know anybody. And so we have since bought a house and moved out of our rental. And then last weekend, we officially brought the rest of our stuff from the storage pod up to our new house. So (laughs) I think we've moved stuff eight times, literally, since last November. So I'm really, really, really tired of moving. But we're happy to have everything in one spot now. And I also started a new job in May. So that was exciting. I love it. I had quit my previous job where I had worked at non-consecutively 17 years. And so it was a big change. And I started my new job at the beginning of May. And so for about three weeks, I was working three jobs. So it was a little wacky, but we're here. We're finally starting to get settled, and yeah, I'm just excited to be back in front of the microphone again. Today's episode is probably one of the more heavier ones, just because the topic of raising feminists in a post-Supreme Court turned over Roe versus Wade world is heavy and emotional. So just be sure to be mindful of how you're feeling. Take some deep breaths. And if you need to pause and come back, feel free to do that. The I'm just going to spend a little bit of time talking about the reproductive rights and how that relates to the climate crisis. So that part will be fairly short. And then we'll just be talking about feminism and how to raise our kids to value equality and fight for equality. So that part's not super heavy, but 
again, I know it's, it's, it's an emotional topic. It's heavy and I get it. I've been there. I'm still there, but I also believe that we can't just sit and wallow in it. So that's where I'm at at this point. If you're not quite there yet, that's okay. You can always come back to this episode. Okay. So let's talk about quickly how lack of reproductive rights, how lack of choice is predicted to exasperate the climate crisis. And I have long said that the climate crisis is linked to pretty much everything, racial justice, social justice, the economy, and now we're talking about it in relation to reproductive rights. So I've got a few statistics here. The first set is from Random Acts of Green, which is a really great organization. And they share that 70% of the 1.3 billion people living in poverty are women. And we'll talk a little bit more about how that is huge and a huge problem throughout the episode. The next statistic is that women bear or women identifying people bear the a good chunk of the climate stress or eco-anxiety or eco-guilt. And then to add on to that, the stress of safe access to abortions or birth control or the stress of getting pregnant if you don't want to, or if you are pregnant and do want a kid but have a medical issue, being able to get emergency medical care in a state that doesn't allow abortions is a huge stressor. I can't even imagine being in a position like that. So we have to take into account the emotional effects and the mental energy as well. Additionally, we know that women are leading the charge and taking lead across the world in terms of the climate fight. There is a statistic, this is not from Random Acts of Green, I don't remember where I saw it, but that in countries that are led by women, the climate action that that country is taking in a forward motion is higher than in countries that are not. Additionally, the United Nations has sustainable development goals. Now, if those sound familiar to you, it's because we talked about these sustainable development goals in an episode with Jen from Honestly Modern and Jess from Thoughtfully Sustainable, who co-authored a book called Raising Global Citizens. And I think Pretty sure that's the title of the episode as well. And they also run a site called Raising Global Kittizens, which is, their content is based around these United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So if you haven't listened to that episode and you want to learn more about these, then definitely check out the episode with Jen and Jess. But in this particular case, we are talking about the Sustainable Development Goal number five, which is achieving gender equality and empowering all women and girls. 
So they go on to say that education in girls reduces inequality and it builds resilience to the climate crisis and reduces emissions. I think if we think about that a little bit deeper, it makes perfect sense because in a place where everybody has access to quality education, then we're going to learn how to be resilient to some of these climate crisis side effects and also learn how to reduce emissions. <laughs> and and I mean, it's a very generalized way of saying it, but that all makes a lot of sense. Additionally, the UN says that having a choice in reproductive rights results in higher education, increased wages, and career advancement for women identifying people. In contrast to that, in general terms, early pregnancy in younger uterus owners sends them into a vicious cycle of intergenerational poverty, vulnerability, and marginalization. And the last piece that I really want to highlight because I think that it's if you take one thing away from all of those statistics, it's this, that lack of access to reproductive rights causes emotional costs, financial costs, and it affects the same group of people most affected by the climate crisis. So yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot to know how to move forward, which leads us right into some things, small steps that we can take at home with our kids. Okay, so before we get into the tips, I just want to lay out a couple of disclaimers. So first, I know that there are kids out there who identify beyond the stereotypical boy and girl. And so I will do my absolute best to use gender neutral language when I can. But a lot of the, not a lot, a number of the tips that I'll be sharing do kind of dive into the media portrayed version of quote, boys and girls, unquote. So thank you in advance for being patient if I forget to change to more gender neutral language. The second disclaimer is that when we are talking about feminism, especially in this context, I am talking about it in terms of equality. So I think that the word feminism sometimes gets a bad rap because of extremists and people want to shy away from it for whatever reason. But in again, in this case, it's, it's going to be about equality. To further that, when we're talking about women identifying people being equal, we cannot exclude BIPOC women identifying people because if they're not equal, then we're not actually really equal, all equal. So just please keep those two things in mind as we go forward. 
All right, the first tip. All kids can play with all types of toys. <laughs> so the media loves to identify, quote, boy toys or girl toys, unquote. But we need to normalize kids playing with whatever the heck they want. And I have to laugh even when I walk into Target, who took a couple years ago, I don't remember exactly when, but they decided to stop genderizing toys by removing the product decor on the shelves and all that stuff. But when you walk down the aisles, you can still clearly see which toys are targeted to which gender. The Barbie boxes are hot pink. The Lego boxes are blue, etc. So it's out there, but we as people with kids in our lives can provide all sorts of different toys, dolls for boys or cars for girls, for example, superheroes for all, all of those types of things. And I think also it's important to talk about being able to play with anything, especially when it comes to getting comments from people in your kids' lives. So for example, we've had instances where my son has been playing with a toy that is, in society's terms, a girl toy. And we had a family member comment about him playing with it and why he was playing with it. And he didn't want to play with that when he clearly wanted to play with that. And so making sure to speak out in those situations and talking to your kids about it after, I think is really, really, really important. The next tip is to read books featuring strong female identifying leads and especially make sure to include BIPOC characters. So there's lots of books out there, thankfully, these days that feature a strong female identifying person and doing really awesome things. If we talk about the episode I did with Stacy Bauer, Raising Young Changemakers, that would be a great place to start if you haven't listened to that episode yet. She's got some amazing, amazing books and they've got some really awesome girls in it that are, are are changing things in their community. It's also important to be interested in knowing what kind of books your teacher has, your kid's teacher has in their classroom. I don't mean go in and look through all their books, but if you are able, go and purchase a couple that have strong BIPOC characters and donate them to your kid's classroom. We talked about this with Dr. Artika Tyner in the episode with Planting People Growing Justice. And she talks about making sure that all of your kids' resources, as much as possible, has diverse books. So that's another really great episode about the importance of reading and having diversity in the stuff your child consumes. Additionally, talk and read about trailblazing women. 
There is the book series Rebel Girls, which is really good for kids and features some really awesome short stories that are fun to read. You can also talk about women in history or in present day. I remember when Kamala Harris was elected and my husband and I were watching the ceremony. And when she was speaking, I was really emotional and my son picked up on it. And so we talked about why it was such a big deal that she was vice president and not only that, but a woman of color. And so those types of conversations I think can go a long way in our child's lives. For the next tip is to teach consent. So I don't just mean in terms of physical intimacy. <laughs> I know that there are some people that listen with their kids, so. but I, I also mean in everyday life. So I know in my family, my husband and I will try and ask if we can have a hug or if we can lay next to my son on the couch or something. We also teach that no means no and to be respectful of other people's bodies, especially when they say no and that yes is a yes and that is it. You know, we've been teaching this to him since long as I can remember, but it's interesting now that he is getting older. He's almost seven, so he's becoming much more aware of his body and what he wants and doesn't want to do with it. And we really encourage him to tell people no if he doesn't want to do something. It's interesting also when, now that we've moved, when we come back to visit family and such, that they'll ask for hugs and how some of them don't respect him when he says no. And we even, you know, we'll encourage high fives, we'll encourage waves, we'll encourage fist bumps. But it's, it's, I mean, it is frustrating as a parent too, to, to see this happening where they're not respecting what he wants. And so we just continue to encourage him to say no, and that he doesn't, he doesn't have to do that. And if they, people grab him, which that has happened, which is frustrating as well then you know we can do our part on our end but that he can tell them even if they're family like hey I don't like that don't you know kind of a thing so just teaching kids bodily respect really is what it comes down to and to also respect other people's the next tip is to teach children empathy and emotions and that they're all okay I firmly believe that emotional intelligence is just as important as any other education we can teach our kids. I thank Daniel Tiger often for helping me as a parent start conversations around certain emotions and how to normalize them. And then we just are sure to talk about anything that we're feeling in our family. I share if I'm feeling, you know, XYZ and ask him how he's feeling about XYZ. And when it comes to empathy, if we see someone who got hurt on the playground, I'll ask my son how he thinks they're feeling. If it's a friend, we'll encourage him to go ask if they're okay. If, say, he, 
going to break something. I will ask him how he would feel if I broke something of his. And so we really do focus a lot on empathy and emotions. And I just, again, the emotional intelligence, I think is going to be so important for my son's generation and your kid's generation as they move forward and have to navigate these difficult topics. And they're going to have to learn how to manage their emotions, which is something a lot of people struggle with. So I could probably go on and on about that, but yeah, teach, teach emotions. (laughs) All right. Next tip here, encourage questions and critical thinking. So as we in this movement of eco-minimalism and raising kids who care about their mind, body, community, and planet, as you probably know, we're going against the grain in a lot of ways, and that brings its own set of challenges. So kids are going to start noticing that on some things, mainstream society differs. And if we can provide a safe space for our kids to ask questions, even if it's triggering to us, we can really help them navigate through those differences and explain why it's important to our family that we do things the way we do. If we have an environment where kids don't feel comfortable asking questions, they're going to try and find the information on their own. So in my opinion, it's really important to open that dialogue whenever. And if it is something that's triggering it's okay to say, hey, I need to step back and think about this and I'll get back to you. And that's okay. That teaches kids too that you don't need to answer right away, that you can take a step back. (laughs) The next tip is to prioritize fairness. So I mentioned a bit ago that to me, feminism is equality. And so I am interested in promoting fairness to my son. And that can show up in a number of different ways. But just having that at the forefront, I think, is key when we're talking about feminism and equality. And again, recognizing that it has to be fair for all or it's still not fair. The next step, tip, not step, the next tip is to prioritize fair, or nope, I just did that one. Goodness, I'm getting lost here. (laughs) It's to encourage acceptance of all different body types. So as we very well know, the media loves to portray the quote, ideal, unquote, woman as someone who is skinny and beautiful and all, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But what is beauty? Why is that? Why is one specific type the what's considered beautiful? So we can challenge that notion to our kids and by pointing out, hey, I think that person's super beautiful because they're really kind or what have you. Additionally, normalize that all bodies are different. It's ridiculous to me that it's 2022 and we're still having to fight the societal norm that a skinny body is a healthy, beautiful, ideal body. Because that is not the case. So 
Again, when it comes to what your child consumes, look for lead characters that are all different body types, all different abilities. We don't just need to be talking about weight but and shapes, but also different physical abilities. And challenge the notion when it comes up of the next tip is one that I struggle with, but I am working on, and that is drop the working mom guilt. I am in a few Facebook groups, and it comes up often that the difference between what men in the working field experience and do versus women. And so, again, the the working mom guilt is a big one. And I think that some men probably feel guilt or perhaps a sense of sadness that they have to work and they're missing out on their kids. But I think the that number in women or moms is much, much higher. And I think for a, a decent amount of men, they probably don't feel guilty because that's just the way it's been. But for women, there is that level of guilt. So I am a working mom. I work two jobs right now. And yeah, I do feel guilty when my son's at home and especially during the summer and I have to work. But I definitely, after reading about that, have decided that I need to challenge that because I actually do love my work. So that's okay. It's okay that I'm working, <laughs> that I'm contributing, that I am doing something that's fulfilling to me. So if that's a hard one for you, I get it. The next one is about the whole chore aspect. And I'm not just talking about physical chores like sweeping and vacuuming. I'm talking about like the mental load of scheduling doctor's appointments and bringing back signed permission slips, etc. Sit down as a family and lay out all the chores that have to be done and talk about the load that each person has and divide it up because you all live there. It doesn't have to just be one person doing everything just because that's always the way it's been. And maybe some people do take more on because they are home more or they don't work as long of hours, etc. And that's okay. But I think the, the key piece is to lay it all out there, know what has to be done, know what other people are doing so that it's fair and that we're all contributing to a household that we all live in. The next one is to teach and monitor navigating media. And I don't just mean social media, though that's a big one for kids. I'll be honest, I'm terrified of when my son starts hopping on his own devices. He's already asking for a phone. He's not even seven and we are not giving him one right now, but, or in the next few years, but it's still terrifying to me. But the, we can't have them avoid it. That's not realistic. So we have to teach and in, in some cases monitor as well. According to the American Association of Pediatrics, 
They say that children view, on average, 3,000 images a day. And many of those contain over-sexualized, gendered, and sometimes violent images or topics. So, again, kids are seeing it. They know it's there. Unless you have them in a closet, which is a whole other conversation and illegal, they're going to see this stuff. They're going to hear it at school. There's so many things out of our control. So again, we need to teach kids how to properly navigate, how to critically think and question, which we talked about before. We need to have the conversation and the ability to ask questions open and read and watch things together. And as you see things that go against what you're trying to teach your kids, question it, talk about it. And another tactic is that you can point out something and ask them why they think that person is being portrayed in that way or what the advertiser was trying to get across or you know, why is this person doing this in, in the movie or show or, or what have you. So again, questioning, talking, so important. Okay. <laughs> that is all I have right now. I think that's a lot to digest. Feel free to listen back as you need and absorb some more. Of course, like always, like everything in this movement, pick one or two that resonate with you first. Start there. You can always come back and listen to it and implement more as you have the capacity to. One last thing I'll say is that I think it is important and okay to let your kids see you upset about something as big as this. Unfortunately, it's something that their generation is going to have to deal with. And I think it's okay to normalize feeling very heavy and sad about it. Again, it kind of goes back to teaching that emotional intelligence. So feel what you need to feel. Reach out if you need help. Let your kids in on how you're feeling. Answer questions. Talk with them. If you're feeling up for it, take them to a protest or have them sit with you while you donate money or volunteer for an organization that's doing work that you feel is a good match for your values. And slowly but surely we'll navigate this together and hopefully we can bring our kids along with us so that they know how to navigate these things in the future. Because it's not gonna go away for a while, unfortunately. But all we can do is just keep pushing forward. And I know that change will happen for the good. So remember, as always, in order to live sustainably, it must be sustainable for you. Take care of yourself. Take a break if you need. Remember to take deep breaths. Relax your body, your muscles, your jaw. Get outside and come back when you feel like you're ready to keep pushing forward. 
Thanks for listening as always. Bye-bye. I really hope you enjoyed that episode of Raising Eco Minimalists. As always, if you enjoyed this episode and you enjoy the show, please consider leaving a review and a rating on Apple and Spotify. You can find out how to do so in the show notes. Additionally, if you want to reach out to me with questions, comments, reflections on the episode, you're always welcome to do so via my email or any of my social media platforms also linked within the show notes. Finally, Please remember that in order to live sustainably, it has to be sustainable for you. Thanks. Bye.